Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage Podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome back to the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast that's dedicated to the growth and development of teamwork, leadership, and culture. Hi. My name is Greg Gregory, founder of the Teamwork Advantage and team building expert throughout most of North America. I'm excited to have joining us today, somebody in a field that some people take for granted. Some people look at and go the other side. So we're going to try and set the rules straight a little bit and find out a little bit about how things are in the world of human resources. Well, joining us today is actually, in all fairness, at least I want to make sure we disclose, I have done some work for you guys in the past, both for you as uh, an organization, as well as some of your individual uh, colleagues and managers. So I want to make sure we bring that all out to the front top of the line. Lisa Cardinal is a human resources professional who, and I love this, accidentally ended up in human resources and has been joining the field. Hey, Lisa, not to burst your bubble, but you're not the only person who accidentally ended up in their field. Right. <laughs> you know, I often say I was 35 years old before I figured out what I wanted to be when I grew right. up. So that definitely hits. Lisa originally planned to study law. However, after working in a law office for a year as a legal assistant, she was cured of that. Shortly thereafter, she was introduced to the human resources world. Then, of course, we knew it as personnel management. She quickly realized that this was her career match and promptly went to graduate school, completed her master's in human resource development, went on to get her SPHR, the senior professional human resources, and most recently her global professional human resources, understanding about human resources around the world. Uh, Lisa considers herself an HR generalist, which I think is really fascinating because there's so many avenues within HR today. But she enjoys all areas of human resources, has a passion for finding a way to, and I'm using her words here now, work smarter, not harder in the workplace and introducing professionals into the wonders of a career within human resources. Lisa currently lives in Northern Virginia with her husband, her college-aged freshman daughter, when she's home from school, of course, and her 13-year-old dog and furry co-worker, Buddy. Yeah, I know all about those furry creatures helping you out around the house. She currently works as the senior director for human resources for the Air Conditioning, Heating, and Refrigeration Institute, AHRI, a heating, venting, and air conditioning and refrigeration trade association headquartered in Arlington, Virginia. Lisa, welcome to the Teamwork Advantage. Thanks so much, Greg. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. We've been talking off and on about this for quite some time, and I'm really glad to have you joining us because now as things are changing within the pandemic realm, there's a whole lot of things starting to happen. Hybrid work, not hybrid work, everybody back, not everybody back, nobody <laughs> back, virtual. How are we doing everything? It's all kind of changing around the world. So what I want to ask, though, to start things off is I want to make sure that there's a lot of folks that are listening that are not in the association market. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of folks that are in government. There's also a lot of folks that may be listening from overseas, 
So hence your GPHR will come in handy. By the way, we are downloaded now, folks, in over 59 countries. So we're really excited for all of that. But I want to find out some of the differences and the uniqueness to practicing and being involved in human resources in the association world versus the government versus the for-profit world. Sure. Um, so I will say that I think one of the biggest challenges that I find is the misconception of how um, human resources or the talent specifically functions in the association world. And, and this kind of persists both in and outside of our organization. Um, and normally a lot of these misconceptions are really related to the scope of the work, uh, maybe the flow of funds, how do we get money, the skill set of staff. Um, and then the skill set of staff actually kind of impacts the view of staff compensation. Um, and then I think the other thing that we see in the association world versus nonprofit is um, sometimes looking at things like um, marketplace best practices that are prevalent in the for-profit world um, that sometimes people think, well, you can't use those in the association world. So for us, our organization actually, um, we are a nonprofit, but we're not a non-revenue. So right. sometimes people think, oh, you're an association. Um, and they equate that also with a charitable organization, which isn't, of course, the same. We are no, a trade very different. Exactly. And we've we've got members that are member organizations um, as opposed to individual people mm -hmm. um, who are members. Um, and then the other thing I'm finding is that even within um, the needs of technology for the association world, because um, sometimes for us, a lot of associations have a smaller staff. Um, and so sometimes I find it difficult for people to recognize that when we're looking at maybe software or um, even uh, software solutions, um, there are some differences between what we would need in nonprofit um, association or that are needed in for-profit. Um, so perhaps um, the idea of calculating bonuses or performance um, and that based on the profitability of a division or the number of sales made. So those are just some areas where I'm seeing a little bit of a disconnect, but at the end of the day, human resources is in many cases very much the same in both of these spheres. So let, let's let's get, get down and dirty right to it. What side of the coin are you really on? Are you for the employee or are you for management? Both and neither. Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> so that because the purpose, and I tell this to people all the time, the purpose of human resources is to take care of the employees for the organization yeah. and to make sure that the organization thrives through yeah. that care. Um, that's, that's so powerful because so many people think that HR is on one side of that coin or the mm -hmm. other. And they're absolutely not. And I come from a real estate background and I like to phrase it kind of like this and correct me if I'm wrong, but human resources kind of acts in a fiduciary capacity to what is best for the organization, not management, not the employee, but the fiduciary capacity for the organization. 
Absolutely right. Absolutely right. That that is what we're looking at. Um, just making sure everybody is safe, everybody has what they need, um, and that at the end of the day, the organization can thrive, the employees can thrive, and that there is this understanding that the two are not necessarily mutually exclusive. Exactly. Now, you've been in the industry for several years at this point. Mm -hmm. It's changed drastically from, as we mentioned in your bio opening, personnel management. Right. And it goes back even before that, personnel so right. there's all kinds of languages, and now some companies and organizations are calling it people management mm -hmm. uh, and everything else. So there's the languages and all, but the general concepts are kind of the same. But things have changed mm -hmm. um, over the years. It used to be, and I know from a lot of my other clients, human resources people never had a, I'm going to use the term, a seat at the table. Right. Okay. I know with your group, you're absolutely very, very different. You have a strong seat at your table, which I applaud your organization for. So when we're talking about that, when we start looking at all of that, how, how can HR help organizations, help leaders start to thrive? I think one of the things that is important for HR to do is to um, embrace their role as not just the people in the corner doing payroll or you know welcoming in employees, but recognize that there are so many different areas of the organization where HR has a voice and can play a pivotal role. And sometimes what that's going to mean is getting out of um, the office uh, and getting into these other places where you are learning about the organization in ways that you may feel traditionally aren't really any of your business. There's a way to learn without getting in somebody's lane, as we would say. Okay. And most leaders of teams or departments are happy to welcome HR in, um, to have conversations about what are some of the challenges they're seeing for growth? What are you seeing in terms of um, areas that HR can be helpful? What are some things you wish, if you had a magic wand, HR could do or that HR knew? And those are some of the questions that I try to ask. So what are some of those things that HR is still striving in your particular case, mm -hmm. striving to learn more about? I think for us, the biggest thing is learning those issues that impact the organization's development of mission, of strategy, of vision, how those all come together, mm -hmm. because ultimately those will impact um, the HR team. We recently had uh, something taking place where um, they were going to do this slight reorganization of work. And I was really excited that I was asked to be in the room until I realized I had no idea what anybody was talking about. And um, so I'm thinking, okay, what what what's my buy-in? What's my takeaway? But being in those that room for those conversations, two years later, I'm seeing the impact that those conversations had on work that our staff is doing today. Okay. Where let's, two years let's ago, let's be clear on that for a second. Mm -hmm. That conversation took place two years ago, and it's taken that time 
for things to manifest itself and come to fruition. Absolutely. I want to bring that up because today, more so than any time in history, it seems like we are in the midst of instant gratification. Mm-hmm. And that's two years is not instant gratification. <laughs> no, no, it's not. It isn't. So it isn't. the conversation may have started two years ago. Does that mean that nothing was done for two years and now all of a sudden it's working? No, not at all. Things exactly. were happening. Things were morphing. Um, but because I was part of that conversation two years ago, I could track, look, this is what we talked about then. This is what we're seeing happen now. And of course, this was a conversation that was maybe shortly before the pandemic began. Um, So I know what the original vision was. (laughs) I know know what it looks like now. And, And now I know we can have conversations about, did we lose our way? Was this a wise decision? Should we have tweaked this? We can have a lessons learned conversation now. So what are some of the ways that the businesses, and I'm not just talking there within AHRI, because I'm sure you're involved with organizations within the uh, human resources world. And what are some of the ways that businesses are starting to, I'm going to use the word listen to HR. What are some of the ways that they're starting to pay attention? Uh, Well, I will say that I am really excited about the way that HR has been able to step up and really gain recognition as a leader in areas of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, And this is an area in which good HR has been focused for years, but now we have business leaders who are recognizing the importance Mm -hmm. of diverse staff. Um, And I'm excited to see that we're not just limiting diversity to race. We're seeing increased opportunities in areas of the age of the workforce, in the neurodiverse community, And I know that's not the case everywhere, Mm -hmm. um, but I am seeing good employers and organizations keeping the commitments they made to look more closely at how the decisions of an organization can keep the ball moving forward in terms of inviting and allowing and encouraging everyone to play. Right, right. Uh, We've actually had a couple of folks on our podcast uh, regarding uh, neurodiversity. Mm-hmm. And actually about, I don't know, 20 minutes before we sat down for this uh, uh, recording today was one of those articles that had come up from another colleague that I just started to read about neurodiversity and the way it includes everything. And this one particularly focused on the ADHD involvement. Mm-hmm. So all of that. So all that comes into neurodiversity. It's not just what you might think. Right. Um, so what are some things that HR is doing? to break down that stigmatism, if you will, that DEI is all about one thing or another, or neurodiversity is all about one thing. So what are things that you guys are doing, both from your aspect there at AHRI, but also what are some things that you're hearing that other organizations are doing? Um, I'll tell you, Greg, one of the most exciting things about let's start with neurodiversity, is that people are finding ways to bring this in just by, first of all, just having a conversation about it, just addressing the elephant in the room to talk through what it may look like and what it may not 
look like. Um, I have a friend who is a coworker of, of my sister, a colleague of my sister, who got a neurodiverse um, intern to work with her specifically because this individual's um, area was focused on very detailed work that needed to be done. And she needed somebody who had um, a little bit of OCD and was on the autism spectrum, but was still willing to be able to have some socialization. Mm -hmm. And she had a group of people at work. They went through a training. They worked on it. And this person is such an important member now of their team because of the type of work that they are capable of doing. Right. And it's probably the type of work that the other people really didn't want to do in the first place. Did not. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that to me was wonderful. And I think, again, just looking at who who is in who is in the room now? Who is not in the room, but could be? Mm -hmm. um, how do we get those people in the room? Right. Asking yourself those things, um, I think, is a great way to at least get things started. And that's what it did for them. And when I saw that, them sharing that with me made me realize, yeah, that's actually exactly mm -hmm. what it is I need is somebody right. who has this particular skill set. Exactly. And I've had a couple of others that I've uh, talked to clients and things of that over the years where, especially since the pandemic, mm -hmm. some of those in that arena, we, somewhere on the spectrum, if you will, mm -hmm. yes, they run into, they are much better working alone than being in that social environment where they might not normally fit in the in-person setting. Yes. And so their skill set has just thrived. Mm -hmm. And it's so powerful to watch, you know, how that all develops. Yes. Yes. So HR is not a bed of roses. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. It's got some thorns. So HR has come a long way. As we said earlier, years ago, HR didn't have a seat at the table, and a lot of organizations right. are getting seats at the table today, and that's really powerful. Mm -hmm. Where are some of the challenges moving forward? Um, I think the one of the first things that I think about when I consider challenges is um, that we continue, we as HR, continue to normalize the expectation of HRs participating as part of a conversation when we discuss business strategy and management and vision and goals in business plans. Mm -hmm. we, we need to help other people remember, oh yeah, there's HR and they do more than, like I said before, payroll or onboarding or interviewing. Um, and then I think, as I said before, just taking a look at, for HR, the technology, the world of technology, recognizing that there are new ways that things are being done that can help us with compliance and being open to those. One of the things we did that really saved us during the pandemic was we moved in 2019 to a digital file cabinet and um, because of that, because we had started doing that, 
when we were going through audits, we could pull employee documents without having to go into the office and open up a physical document and pull out the documents. Mm-hmm. Um, those That was really big, looking at new ways to utilize um, technology. Um, and then the last thing I would say is just um, looking at other areas where HR can partner where HR is maybe stepping a little outside of their comfort zone, because that's what keeps HR relevant. I love the way you just said that, stepping out of their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. You know, because of the trainings that I've worked with you guys, I'm huge yes. about getting out of a comfort zone, <laughs> getting people to try something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, that is such a powerful thing. So I'm glad to see that that's still in there within your realm of things. Um, if we start to look at it, what are still some misconceptions that still exist about the human resources world? I think um, when I think about those misconceptions, um, there is, first of all, the idea that all HR cares about is just checkbox. You know, that's all that HR is. Um, HR is more than that. There is this huge, when I was in school, this huge HR wheel where you could practice so many different things and still be doing HR. So people have had a narrow view of what HR is, but I think that's that's widening. Um, I think the other misconception about HR is that it's practiced by little old ladies someplace in a back office. There are so many um, new, crisp, young ideas and young people who are participating in mm-hmm. HR. Um, and that to me is really exciting. And I think the last misconception about HR that persists um, is that it is just for this one particular incident. It's not something that impacts the company as a whole. Okay. Um, and I think when we start again, opening up conversations about, can HR participate in this? And when HR says, I want to participate in this, um, then HR is no longer seen as kind of the police, you know, the or the, the principal with the ruler waiting to smack your hand. HR can be more than that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love that because so often it is viewed as the police or the teacher mm-hmm. slapping the wrist. <laughs> and so, uh, that's just a big, big challenge to get get through that hurdle. Mm-hmm. Yes. Talk to us a little bit about the Global Professional Human Resources designation. So that's mm-hmm. a new designation for you. Yes. And if we were talking offline a little earlier. I was fascinated to learn a little bit about that because we're here in the United States and HR is one thing. Even up in Canada, it's a little different. Mm-hmm. In Mexico, it's different. So all over, what are some things that you are learning um, in the last year or so about human resources on a global level? Mm-hmm. I think um, the first thing that I had to recognize is that HR, as it is practiced in the U.S., is in many cases significantly different 
than practiced outside of the U.S. And I think one of the biggest differences that I see is um, employers' role in HR. I think that HR in the U.S. is significantly more pro-employer, if we were going to pick a side, and externally, it seems to be a lot more pro-employee. Um, we have, HHRI has a certification managed by the Standards Council of Canada, and they come and review and do audits, and, and HR sits in on that. And I'm always surprised, well, not always, but not anymore, but now they are always surprised, I should say, that we don't have employees sign a contract. You don't, I'm and sorry, that say that again, you don't have they, any? We don't have a contract for our employees. We don't have employment contracts. So this concept of an employee at will is very much foreign outside of the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, most other countries will have an employment contract that clearly spells out what happens or what is expected of the employee. Um, the other thing that I'm finding is that there is a lot more focus on things like security and security of employee records and information. We have, you know, we have HIPAA and, and things like that, but, but they're looking at it even in more minute detail. And I was surprised at that. Um, even things associated with saving uh, money for retirement the employees, even if there isn't necessarily something that they might call a pension plan. They have some type of a special savings plan. When somebody exits an organization overseas in, in very many countries, there is money set aside for them that you are paying out to them that you've set aside um, that's been accruing over mm -hmm. a period of time. Um, and we don't really have those things. So it's been really interesting. Yeah, the pension concept went away many years ago. Yes. <laughs> uh, it definitely went away. And there's a pro and a con to both of those statements. There. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if we start to look at things, let's talk about managers in general, and it's not necessarily in the, in the management in human resources, mm -hmm. but we're talking with managers of other departments. What are some things managers need to know about privacy, about things that they can do and can't do. What are some things that can help a manager be a better leader of their team? Yeah, I think one of the first things that managers need to understand is their scope of influence. Um, managers sometimes don't recognize that they have a lot more influence on the day-to-day -day workings of a team and even what happens outside of work, that team's family. Um, and so I think that's one area to, to look at. When you are doing something as simple as having a conversation with a colleague and yeah, you know, Sally Sue called out sick today. And yeah, I wonder if it's that thing she's been dealing with. Well, you know, she was looking a little eh, at the last meeting, things like that. You know, managers really have to be careful and recognize they can influence so many things associated with someone else. We don't want to discuss um, information about salaries. And even as we're seeing these areas of privacy, we are seeing other areas where for employees, we have more transparency. I look at New York and some of the legislation going on with um, making sure that people are able to know about 
uh, how much money is being made, but then you can't turn around and ask questions about uh, somebody's uh, previous salary at a previous employer. So managers just really need to be aware of this kind of scope of where they can go and where they can't. They can turn to HR for a lot of that, um, but some of that is going to be on managers. There are resources that managers can use. Now, I've been hearing, and I may be way off on my thoughts here, but there's been talk of either legislation or whatever to open up so that the discussion of salaries between Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice can be, you know, I grew up in the era that that was taboo. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Not anymore. Not anymore. So employees can talk about it, but managers can't. Is that, is that about right? It's that it's not so much that managers can't, it's that managers have to be careful about the person with whom they are having that conversation and what ex information they're expecting to receive. So managers can't interview and ask people, and this is a broad generalization that I'm making, you can't interview and say, okay, I need you to give me some proof of how much you were paid before or tell me how much you were paid before. If somebody has a salary of, they say uh, perhaps the position is $70,000 and they say, well, you know, I'm already making 70, I wanna make 75. And the manager says, well, I need to see some proof that you were making 70,000. You know, there are many places where you can't do something like that now. Um, and so, yeah, what's really happening is things are opening up for employees to have conversations. And again, a lot of that is going back to the hope that people will now be able to recognize that, oh, this person is making the same amount, or wait a minute, this person is being paid $20,000 more than I am for the same work. So this is kind of going back to pay equity. Mm -hmm. And that that's a tough thing for managers to be in. It's a tough thing yeah. for organizations in general to be in. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about AHRI. Mm -hmm. Okay. You guys have had an amazing culture under your CEO. You've got a great culture, the way that it's built, the way that it's going. How have you been able to continue and foster the elements of teamwork, great leadership, and a culture through the last two and a half years? Yeah, so this was a big issue for us uh, because so much it, of it was for a lot of folks. Yes. Well, and for us, because so much of AHRI's work hard, play hard culture was based on the fact that we were all working in the same office, right? I mean, I am a strong introvert. And even I can tell you right now that there are some things that just do work better in person. Um, so we had to be really deliberate about the way we worked to maintain that identity because we weren't seeing each other. So one of the things that happened was our senior HR generalist partnered with our office manager. Um, and together they kept they came up with ways to keep people connected online in Zoom events like weekly desk yoga, relaxation break. They had virtual coffee breaks, virtual lunches. You turn on your camera, you eat and talk to people on Teams. Um, they created a Teams channel just for socializing. We created an HR communications intranet site. Um, but right now, what we're really looking at is separating the concept of whether or not you must be in the office to get your work done and the idea of being part of a team. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so where's AHR coming down on that? Because there's several different thoughts on this school. Mm-hmm. So um, what we realized we had to do is in separating the two, right? Make sure that people who needed to be in the office could be in the office. And again, the question was, who does anybody really have to be in the office? So we've tried to be very, very flexible about that. Our CEO has not given a mandate that people must be in the office. He is encouraging people to be in the office. Different teams are um, having requirements, flexible requirements. Um, and here I should probably say that AHRI does have a vaccine mandate for mm-hmm. um, headquarters staff. And uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, after we had the vaccine mandate, we did also have a mask mandate. Um, We don't have a mask mandate anymore. And so we encouraged people to be in the office by staggering days that teams would come in. Mm -hmm. Um, We tried to have a team Tuesday or a team Thursday where people could come in. And I'll tell you, the first few times people were in the office, you would hear people, I mean, it was like long lost friends, you know, exclaiming, um, excited. So we've also tried to take some of our big events, move them outdoors when possible, um, or just have events so that more people are coming in uh, to maintain mm-hmm. that face-to-face contact, right. which is so important. So. There are some job functions that can easily be done remotely. Uh Okay. And then there are some job functions that it's absolutely brutal to try and collaborate on a task or an event or a project remotely. Uh Are those decisions being left up to managers? In large part, they are being left up to managers in tandem with HR. Okay. Uh, So what we will do is, um, and this happened more often when people were moving, which people started doing. And and our question was, under what condition would this person be required to be in the office in order to perform a particular task? Mm -hmm. And what we realized is that uh, for a lot of this, it wasn't that it was required, it was that it was preferred. And then as time progressed, one of the things we made sure was clear, and we're working on this now, is that just because it is preferred doesn't mean um, it's a bad thing. We can say, we would prefer you to be in here for this. We are asking you to please come because things are better when you're here. And for the most part, we are seeing people who say, okay, Mm -hmm. that's fine Um, because things are opening up now. And so, you know, some of the things we tell people are, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, you desperately wanted to be back in the office. And now you're saying you don't want to be in the office. But a lot of people don't want to be in the office because they can do all the other things they couldn't do before. They can go to the movies, they can go out to eat. So we're asking people to try to reshape their life to include work and possibly work outside of the office. So Mm -hmm. we're really flexible. I know even for me, um, I go into the office two days a week at least, and I'm in there in the morning through noon because at noon I leave to come home and take the dog out for a walk. My dog is 13. He's not going to hold it. 
um, and he can't stay in a crate. So, uh, and then I finish out the rest of my day at home and people love this. Like we are not seeing a drop in um, people's productivity. If anything, it's, no. it's getting better and we're so, cautioning people. Right. But that brings me to the question. There's mm -hmm. a lot of organizations that have seen productivity actually increase. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because people are now working, believe it or not, way more hours because yes. of the house. Yes. How are yes. how are you all managing that and still making sure people get the rest that they need? Because you can't work 12 hours a day, five, to six days a week. Been there, done that. You just can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's because it's, it, it reduces your productivity eventually, you mm -hmm. know, because you burn yourself out. Um, one of the things we're doing is um, we're kind of forcing people to take time off. The first two years of the pandemic, we removed the carryover cap on our vacation, which was at the end of the year, you're able to carry over a certain amount of vacation into the new year. Um, and previously it was kind of, you would lose, it's use or lose. Anything right, over exactly. that cap, you would lose. Now we've removed that. We're saying, listen, things are opening back up. We want you to take time off. This has always been a big push from our CEO. Um, he says what HRI does is important. It matters, but nobody's going to die if you don't come into the office, right? Um, so that's one of the things we're doing. The other thing is we're, we're encouraging managers to continue to be flexible with time. Uh, for my team, I've instituted a wellness Wednesday and I tell them, okay, every Wednesday, I want you to either take a long lunch or sign off a little bit early. Now I do have exempt employees reporting to me, mm -hmm. um, but I tell them, take, take some time off, mm -hmm. um, make sure you get away. And I think we're seeing more of that happen Right. Um, with staff because we're I've so got a client in Baltimore it. doing that with their employees. Mm -hmm. um, one of their employees takes off and goes uh, apple picking and does mm -hmm. things like that, you know, for three or four hours one morning uh, on the day that, that it fits in. It's not Correct. necessarily on a specific day, just they mm -hmm. go. Yeah. And that, that has been so good for the morale of everybody. Yes, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So in hiring, has AHRI run into this? Mm -hmm. People that are now hired have never seen your office. Um, yes. And they've never seen some of their colleagues. That's correct. One of the ways we are addressing that in part is uh, I know our office manager was actually doing virtual walkthroughs of the office. So she would kind of do a FaceTime and walk through the office, mm -hmm. showing people different areas. The other thing we did is, as I said, we developed an HR intranet site, a communication site. And on that site, we now post um, a welcome to AHRI that has a picture of the individual. It gives a short bio, some information about them. We post that on the site, send an email to all staff so that we are encouraging people to broaden their view of, oh, okay, this is who this individual is. That's who the new person is so that they can see a face mm -hmm. and it, it personalizes them. Yeah, it does. It absolutely does. Yeah. And that's, that's so cool that you're doing things like that. We've talked about all the things you're doing. Mm. We've talked about all your successes. 
where are you? Where's AHRI? Where is this organization still struggling? And what are you looking for? I think uh, some of the things that we are looking for is, uh, first of all, I would say staff um, who are willing to work in the association world, understanding that things are a little bit different, perhaps from the for-profit world. And this kind of goes back to the misconception mm -hmm. that people have. Um, sometimes people assume, well, your association, you don't really have very skilled people. You're just taking whomever um, when in fact, I'm there sorry, are I can't help but laugh at that because that oh, is yeah. so stereotypical. <laughs> not it true. is, it is, it is. And, and, um, or, you know, it's a small organization. Is there going to be room for growth for me? Because we're working very carefully together to plan growth opportunities. We have a big professional development program at AHRI mm -hmm. that's very generous, I think, um, so people are able to grow, to develop professionally. Um, so that's one area where I think we're really trying to get in people. Um, and we're also now looking for people outside of the traditional areas. So one of the challenges we're seeing is as we are looking at staffing, and of course, everybody is challenged with staffing now, is um, the fact that now, because so much of the work we're doing is changing to be more data-driven. We are now competing with other companies that are more data-driven. So we're looking for data scientists. We're looking for a lot more IT people, technical skills, mm -hmm. where before it was more perhaps administrative. Right. Um, so those, those are the big areas that we're kind okay. of looking at growth. That's awesome. You and I could talk for another hour. There's no doubt about that. We've known each other for, I don't know, probably 15 years at this point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really exciting to see you work with you on this. I'm glad you had a chance to join us here on the uh, on our podcast, sharing your ideas, sharing your successes that you've had, um, hopefully enlightening our listeners to the world of human resources. So I think that's just really, really powerful. So I want to say thank you very much, Lisa Cardinal, for joining us. And uh, folks, just remember, once a week with the Teamwork Advantage, we share skills and ideas that you can act on immediately. And I think Lisa has shared several of those with us today about ideas that you can work on virtually as well as in person to try and make sure your teams are still strong. Until next week, remember, having a good day, that's just being average. When you listen to the Teamwork Advantage, we know that you are not average. So go make today an excellent and exceptional day. Until next week, take care. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.